One of my favorite movies of all time is The Lion King. And I absolutely love the scene. This is one of my favorite scenes from that movie where Simba is at rock bottom. He doesn't know who he is. He's struggling with the identity of, of who he is. And Rafiki brings him out into the middle of, of this pasture and Mufasa comes out of the clouds. And Mufasa doesn't give him some new revelation. He doesn't say, hey, guess what? I'm your dad and you're actually a prince. Simba already knew that. What Simba needed would, was to be reminded simply of who he was. And so that is what this message is going to be about. I want to remind you simply who you are as Christians. And what we're going to talk about is your role as a Christian, as a, as a biblical priest. And a lot of you may be saying, uh, what are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I never signed up to be a priest. That is not, not something that I signed up for. That's not my job. But if you've given your, your life to Christ as a living sacrifice, then yes, it is your job to be a priest and to live out a biblical priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Revelation 1.6 Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we are a royal priesthood. And as that royal priesthood, it's our job to declare the praises of God. We see that replicated twice here. That each time it identifies us as his priests and then goes on to bring glory to God. That is what our job is. And we... We talk a lot about identifying God as our high priest. I don't think that's something that is overlooked. But oftentimes we think about him as the high priest, and it's like, great, we got our high priest, and we're the, we're the Jews on the outside. We're on the outskirts of the, the tabernacle. We maybe want to get close to that, but we ourselves are not really responsible for anything. That's all Jesus. He died on the cross, and he did all that for us. That's great. He's our high priest, and, and we can just kind of sit back and, and enjoy the ride. And that's 100% true. Christ is our high priest. He died. He was the ultimate sacrifice, and he has atoned for all of your sins. There's nothing you can do to earn that salvation. But we have to work. Just like I said before with communion, we're in this covenant, and part of that relationship is us doing something. Our job is to be priests and to be workers. The way that this was laid out is you had your high priest, which we know is Yeshua, you had your priests that helped minister to Yeshua. You had your Levites. Not all Levites had to be priests, but all priests had to be Levites. And then you had your Jews outside of that, the other tribes. And then you had your Gentiles. So there is very much a, uh, a hierarchy here to where you fit. And so what I want to ask you is, is how close do you want to be to that high priest and how close do you want to be in that relationship to ministering to God? And when I say ministering, I mean working. This is a every day, wake up, pick up your cross and, and die to him. It's a job. 1 Corinthians 3.9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. If you are not getting up every day, going to work for God, then you're being lazy and you're not doing your job. 2 Timothy 2.5, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we're to work, 
I think it's kind of important that we don't just wake up and say, all right, I'm ready to work, but I don't know what I'm doing today. It's important for us to know what our responsibilities are and what Christ has called us to do in this biblical priesthood. So that's what we're going to get into tonight, is what are our responsibilities and what happens when God's people neglect their responsibility. So the responsibilities of this priesthood um, are laid out for us in numbers. This is going to be the passage that we're going to go through primarily here tonight, this and uh, Chronicles. So starting off, Numbers 3, 5 through 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting, to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they should attend to the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So this is a big deal. The Levites were, were not given land. They weren't given pasture. They were not given cities for their inheritance. Instead, they were given this responsibility. This was their inheritance, was this job right here. Nothing physical, but responsibilities. And that's an important thing to, to accept as we think about the, the things of this world that we're chasing after. Are we going after the physical inheritance of the, the things that we can obtain? Or are we waking up and accepting that all we are created to do here on this earth is to be responsible for bringing others to Christ? Our duty is not to, to get stuff for ourselves, but it's to bring others into the fold, into the kingdom. And this is a, a heavy responsibility. The other passage we're going to look at is 1 Chronicles 23, 27-32. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, in the purifying of all holy things, and the work of the service of the house of God, both with the showbread and the fine flour for the grain offering, with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan, with what is mixed and with all kinds of measures and sizes, to stand every morning to thank and praise God. I'm going to pause right there. How many of you wake up every morning to thank and praise God? I love that. That's not something I do. And so even this week being convicted by this, I was like, man, that is such a simple task that I've been given that I do not do. And it is so easy. And likewise at evening and at every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the set feasts by number, according to the ordinance governing them regularly before the Lord, and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting and the needs of the holy place and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the work of the house of the Lord. So here's just a list of some of the responsibilities of the priesthood. And if you accept that you yourselves are in this role of priesthood, your job description. This is not an exhaustive list, and it's not written in, in any kind of order of importance, but just a general layout of, of things that you should be expected. And remember that the job of this priesthood of the Levites was to be representative of Israel. The Lord required the firstborn of every family as a representation and an offering to him. And that's what these Levites were. So in this, in these responsibilities, recognize that you are representing 
the Lord in all of your actions. So the first is to minister to the priests. Going back to our first um, reading here in Numbers. In verse 6 it says, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest, that they may serve him, and they shall attend to his needs. In verse 9, And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him. So their job, first and foremost, was to minister to the high priest. It is our job to be vessels for the Lord to use. We are here at his disposal to do whatever he wants, whatever he wills, not in how we want to do it, not offering strange fire before the Lord, but in the way that God has instructed us. The passage in Chronicles just backs us up in verse 28, because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord. So first and foremost, your job is to serve the Lord. Pretty simple. Next was to guard the temple. In Numbers 1.52, it says, The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. That's important. We'll get to that later. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. So the Levites were responsible for keeping this charge. And that charge... The word is shamar in Hebrew, and it, it literally just means to keep, to guard, to watch for, and in the noun, it is, it is the watchman. That is what they were responsible for, is, is keeping guard over the tabernacle. And I want to make this clear, it's not to protect God. God does not need protecting, but the holiness of God needs protecting from those that are not holy, from the non-Levites, from those outside because any time that a, a non-Levite would come into contact, they would risk polluting the things of God, and they would risk death upon themselves. And this is something that we see all the way going back to the very beginning in Genesis. Genesis 2, 15 through 16. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That word to tend, or sorry, the word keep is that same word shamar in the Hebrew, and the word tend is, is work. So there's a, a correlation here between working and guarding the things of God. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So Adam is in a sense performing the duties of a priest long before the priesthood ever existed. But when Adam failed at his job, um, we see that God had to fill that void. If you don't do your job, God's going to fill it for you. And he ended up placing the cherubim at the east end of the garden. Later on, we see he does the same thing with the cherubim, placing them on the Ark of the Covenant, guarding the mercy seat. They were embroidered in the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. So this symbolism was around from the very beginning, that, that God's holiness needs protecting Later on, even before the priests, we see in Exodus 19, 10 through 13, this is at Mount Sinai, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon the Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, 
but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Now, why is this? It's because as soon as God's presence comes onto that mountain, it is considered holy. And you cannot have people that are unholy a part of the things of God's holiness. You cannot have them mix. And so these, the safeguard around the mountain was to protect the people so that they didn't die. So my point is that this symbolism has been around from the very beginning. This is not new to the Levites, and I believe it is fully in place now. But if it is, if it is true today, my question is, what do we consider holy today? And, and I'm curious. I, I'm, I would love to hear some thoughts on what we as a, as a Christian society would consider to be holy. If we were to write a list of things that we need to safeguard, that we do, well, I don't know if we do a good job of protecting any of them, but what are some things that we consider holy? Marriage. Like I've said for years, I don't care if they have, they can have all the civil unions they want. But marriage is holy. Marriage is sacred. Marriage is holy. Yeah. Well, the temple today is us, right? Yep, absolutely. And if we're the temple, how are we maintaining our body? You look at clean versus unclean foods, um, sexual immorality, things that we do to our body that we do not treat as holy. Sabbath. Yep. The word of God itself, you know, the commandments, those are holy, you know, the Sabbath, Well, I would just encourage you this week to, to think about those things that I don't know, I'm not going to put a list here of here are the things I consider to be holy. You can read your Bible. You can find out which thing God considers to be holy and think about protecting those and how you're able to safeguard the holiness of God from others. Next thing is to serve at the tabernacle. Numbers 150, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings and over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. So in addition to, to ministering to the high priest, they were also to serve at the temple and to take care of the day-to-day -day tasks. Um, the Levites, like I said, not all Levites were priests, um, but some of them served as aides to the priests. So they would do things like prepare the sacrifices I imagine with all the blood going around with sacrifices, there's probably a lot of cleaning up of floors and uh, maybe washing robes off. I don't know. There's a lot of, of tasks. There was musicians. You had singers. There were doorkeepers. A, a number of, of different things to do. And I think about that in, in today's society of the people that come to serve at the church, those that came and helped paint. And I think about Greg and Tosh coming every every Saturday ahead of time to get communion ready and, and all the number of things that you guys do to help serve in the tabernacle. These are important things to do. I'm just, I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, mom, mom can skip this one. Where two or three are gathered, I am there. Uh, judge the people was the next one. And this is maybe controversial, but it really shouldn't be, because we are absolutely supposed to judge others. 
In Leviticus 19:35 through 36, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So this is a, a direct commandment to, uh, in Leviticus, this is to the Levites of, of something that they're supposed to do. Make sure that when you judge the people, you are doing it honestly. First Chronicles 23, 4. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. Deuteronomy 17, 8 through 9. If a matter arises, which is too hard for you to judge, between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place where the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days, and inquire of them. They shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. Now, one thing I think it's important to recognize is these people are coming to be judged. I don't think that we need to necessarily be going out of our way to go judge somebody. Um, there's a proper way of doing that. But I think this idea of this verse in Matthew 7, 1 through 2 has been taken completely out of context. We're all familiar with it. Uh, judge not that you not be judged. And a lot of people just stop right there. But when you go on, it says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So untrue judgment is wrong. We're not supposed to do that. Self-righteous judgment is wrong. Hypocritical judgment is wrong. Harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. But when you're judging in wisdom, when you're judging with grace, when you're judging with humility, in the same measure that you're judging, you will be measured, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Now, I definitely fail at this, because I'm a very judgmental person. And so I think when I get up to heaven, there's going to be times where God's like, you may, you may be pushed a little too far, and I maybe should judge a little harsher, because you didn't always judge with grace. But judging people is not inherently wrong, as long as we're doing it with grace, we're doing it with wisdom and discernment. This one's probably the one that should make, make you feel a little heavy in your chest because as priests, we are to bear the iniquity of people around us. This job is not just about you and your salvation. This is about the people around you. Numbers 18.1 Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, so things that happen within the church, and you and your sons shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. So this word iniquity is avon in, in the Hebrew, and the root of this means to bend, to twist, and to distort. So to commit iniquity or to do wrong, to pervert, the way that I see this is that this iniquity is the bending, the twisting, and the distorting of the law and the words of God. That when we allow iniquity, the bending of Scripture within the priesthood, within the sanctuary, that that's on us. That we need to be calling those things out. And when there are people in the congregation that are hurting, we need to bear that iniquity upon ourselves, just like Christ did. We can't save them. We can't do that. But we can be lifting one another up in prayer. We can be taking the weight off of them and helping as much as we possibly can. Numbers 18, 20 through 24 then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. For I 
am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Does that sound good? Does that sound good to you? Sounds, sounds pretty sweet. So you're not going to get a physical inheritance here on earth. I mean, maybe you'll be blessed, but, but that should not be what your focus is. This bearing the iniquity of other people, that's what you get. That's your responsibility. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. So we are supposed to go on behalf of these people. A sinner, if, they're not, if they don't even know that they're sinning, and you're not out there going on their behalf, bringing their, their issues to the Lord and talking to them, how, how else are they supposed to know these things? But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. That's a heave offering. Um, I believe that was like the grain, wasn't it? The, yeah. yeah. They would, that was one of the wave offerings. So speaking of that tithe, um, that was one of the responsibilities of the priesthood as well, was to receive the tithe. Nehemiah 10, 38-39, And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine and the oil, to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. That verse gets to me because I just look at where the modern church is and I, I see so much neglect in the house of our God, so much mismanagement of tithes. So there's two sides to this. First off, if you choose not to be a part of this, this priesthood, you should still be tithing because the Levites can't do their job. They can't accept tithe if people aren't tithing. So that's an important thing to note. Secondly, if you are in a position where you are receiving the tithe, it's important to be responsible. We got to, that is a, a hefty, hefty responsibility that we need to be taking, I think, a little more seriously than what we do in, in the modern church. Mega churches with... Uh, private planes. Hebrews 7, 5, and indeed those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. So they're commanded to accept these tithes as well. Second Chronicles 31, 4, moreover he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Numbers 18, 25 through 26. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. Uh, next they were to teach the law. And I think Dad's probably got 80 hours worth of uh, sermons now on this, so I'm not going to go into how we are not teaching the law, but pretty evident 
In Deuteronomy 33.10, They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you in a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Ezekiel 34.23, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel and prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. So the expectation here is that they need to be feeding the flock. You can't accept all this tithe so that you can learn about God and not share it. And in the same way with you guys, if you're learning something about God and he's revealing something to you, it's your job to go feed others. It's not up to whoever sits in the seat and your pastor in order to do all the teaching. If you are in the priesthood, it's kind of your job to teach that. Go out and share the good news with people. Otherwise, all you're doing is feeding yourselves. The last point I want to make, this is not necessarily a job, but more of a characteristic of a priesthood. And this one is, is not maybe for you guys as much as it is for me. And that is that they were not soldiers. They're not warriors of God. They're not out rah-rah killing David, and, or killing David, killing Goliath. David was not a Levite. Numbers 1, 1 through 4 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. Continuing on in this chapter, I'm not going to read this, but you can read through all the names of the heads of the family, and there's one tribe that's missing, and that's the tribe of Levi. Because the Levites were not to go to war. The Levites had proved their loyalty to God already at the incident of the golden calf. And so they were elevated to a position of being God's own legion. It's like they were God's special elite force that never actually went to war. They, they fought on God's behalf. And this distinction is that they would be counted separately than the rest of Israel. Well, so here, I'll get to that. Okay, so... I've never necessarily wanted to go to war, but I very much have a toxic masculinity. Give me a lightsaber. I want to go to war. Like, I, I love it. Like, let's go. I'm ready to, I'll go fight ISIS right now on behalf of God in his name. I think I'd have joined the Crusades. I'd have been all over that. In the name of the Lord, like, yes, let's do it. I'm ready to protect my family. Because one of my, one of my favorite messages of all time is Jamie Walden's message where he talks about God coming as a, this, this peaceful man on a white horse. And he said, that's great, but when God comes back the second time, he's on a horse with a sword and he's coming to bring wrath and judgment. And I'm like, yes, let's go. I'm ready for it. Great sermon, totally applicable and totally true, but we can't let this pendulum swing so far that we get to, yes, he's coming back and we get to be ooh-rah. We've got to remember that in the Bible, the word like fighting to be a warrior is only found about 100 times. And the word peace is brought up over 300 times in the Bible. So the majority of time, God tells us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. 
here's a, an answer to your point there, Deb. Romans 12, 8. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I do believe there will be a time where it's, it's not possible. Just like the Hasmoneans, if you're familiar with the story of Hanukkah, the, the Hasmoneans were the ones that no one was standing up, and so they had to go in and, and rescue Jerusalem. They did fight. They picked up arms. And they were actually Kohathites, so they were Levites. They still went to war, but it was, it was at the very brink of it. They, they had to do it. Yeah, and, and I'll make this, well, I'll let Bible make this point. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. I think this is our first priority is to be peacemakers. Pursue that above all else. Things that edify others. Killing people has never brought somebody closer to Christ. And so that is what, what we need to be pursuing above all else. I'm not saying that being a warrior and fighting is bad, but I think this needs to be what we focus on first. Yeah. Hebrews 12:14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. They're not going to see the Lord through fire and brimstone. They will see the Lord through our peace. I think when it comes to fire and brimstone, it's too late. So to wrap things up, I just want to look at what happens when we accept this, that we are, we are in Christ's priest, priesthood, we're Christians, we are called by his name, we read the great commission where we are to go and make disciples of all men, and then we neglect our duties. Leviticus 4.3. This one should scare you. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. So again, this isn't about you. This is about everybody around you, that if you sin, you're bringing guilt on the people. That when we as Christians, when we're not upholding our priestly duties, look at what's happened to this country. And forget about the country. Forget America. Look at Americans. Look at the people that are here in your community that are affected by our lack of action, by our lack of, of upholding things that are holy. Ezekiel 22, 24 through 26 paints a picture of what to expect. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. In her midst. This isn't outside. This is in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy, which is why I bring this up. Let's start identifying these things. Can we start defining what's holy and what's not, or what's unholy? Nor have they made known the difference between clean or unclean and clean. How many Christians identify that today? Ah, uh, no, it's all made clean. We're good. Sounds, that sounds like our, our prophets have, have violated and profaned God's holy things. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Daniel Joseph had an excellent message last week talking about the Sabbath, and he shared a clip that had a, a compilation of a number of well-respected men like John Piper, John MacArthur, Rick Warren, all talking about how God's holy day is, is, is not really God's holy day. It doesn't really matter. Is that not our priests profaning his name, the conspiracy of her prophets? 
Matthew 13, 24 through 30. We're all familiar with this parable. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Notice that this seed, or this field, was to be planted with purely good seed. It wasn't until the men slept that the enemy was able to get in and sow tares among the wheat. That, that, those tares were not already there. It was because it was polluted when the people that were charged with safeguarding of that field completely fell asleep. The same way that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his closest ministers, his priests, people that were supposed to guard him, to minister to him, he said, please stay awake with me. And they couldn't do it. They fell asleep. And that's exactly what we're doing today. What happened when they fell asleep? Judas came into the garden. Isaiah 56.10, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. So to close, I just want you guys to remember who you are, that these are your responsibilities. This is your duty. Things that when you enter into this covenant with God, you sign up for this job. You can't back away from this and say, hey, I'll take the grace, but I don't really feel like doing any of the other stuff. This is something you're responsible for. It's something you're commanded to do. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So I just encourage you to accept this priesthood, to look at things that are holy, to safeguard the holiness of God, and to reach others, to go out and feed the lost. And if you do that, you will inherit the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and be one with him when you get to heaven. You can, you can sit back and you can be one of those on the outskirts. You don't necessarily have to, well, I'm not even going to say that. You can sit back on the sidelines if you really want to. But if you want to be as close to God as you possibly can, you're going to want to be one of those priests that gets to minister to the high priest each and every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this job that you have given us, the, the ability to work, the responsibility that you would entrust us with your word, something that even the angels long to look into. Uh, we're just, just grateful for that opportunity. We pray that we would not look at this lightly, that we would not squander, we would not be lazy, that we would not be asleep, but that we would be fully awake that we would not be put to sleep by the things of this world, by the comforts, by entertainment, by chasing after riches or any of the possessions here on earth, but that we would keep a heavenly-minded focus on, on what's above and our inheritance to be one with you. We're so grateful for this time that we can gather together as believers and to edify one another, to pick one another up, to bear each other's burdens. 
and just ask that, that your name would be lifted on high, that our prayers and our worship would be a pleasing aroma in the throne room of God, that you'd be pleased by our hearts, a living sacrifice to you. We ask that as we would go outside the walls of this building, that we would, we would be good priests, that we would minister to the people, that we would bear their iniquities. We would sing praises to you each and every day when we wake up and when we go to bed. Let us not grow tired and give us the strength to fight the good fight until you return. We look forward and long for the day when you come back. But in the meantime, we will work hard and we will do your bidding and keep over watch over that which you call holy. In Yeshua's precious, holy, and mighty name we pray. Amen.